Welcome to the Partners in Digital Health Institute Startup and Early Career Incubator Writing Bootcamp, where we empower members to amplify digital health solutions and the credible clinical evidence that is the currency in today's data-driven healthcare industry. On this podcast, moderator, Dr. Lyle Berkowitz, Clinical Associate Professor of Medicine at the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, discusses communicating research through visual communications such as posters, videos, and infographics, which all have a place in communicating research and data, but how do you choose, write, create, and communicate it all so it's all clearly understood by the audience? Let's listen to esteemed panelist, Dr. Amar Gupta, PhD at MIT's Institute of Medical Engineering and Sciences and Artificial Intelligence Labs and the Department of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science, along with Paul Barrick, lecturer, senior advisor to the Dean of Jefferson College of Population Health, professor at Sigmund Freud University, Vienna, Austria, an honorary professor at the University of Queensland in Australia. And finally, Robert Mathias, PhD, Executive Director at the ISMPP. Let's hear what these experts have to share with us now. So let's start with a little round table, folks, on what this topic means to you and why you are um, uh, passionate and experienced in being able to talk about it. Uh, we'll go in the order that I introduced you. So Rob, you're up first. Great, thank you. And thanks for uh, introducing the topic. Uh, for me, I have a certain passion in this area because you know, as someone who's working closely with people that work in the medical publishing area, uh, we know there's a change in the way people are looking at the uh, communication of data. So before when it was simply just uh, looking at traditional publication activities and, and the things that would go into journals, the realm of possibility, the channels that are available are very different today than they have been before. Uh, there are different audiences that are available to, uh, to try to reach uh, and certainly different ways to reach them, whether it be uh, things that we could do with posters, uh, scientific posters, that is different elements that we can put into journal articles um, and other different types of extensions that we'll get into. So from my perspective, as someone who represents uh, those people who are working squarely in the, in the area of publishing data, um, it's certainly a very area of interest and passion for me. Thanks. And Amar, you know, we're, we're talking about visual communication, something a lot of, you know, doctors, scientists aren't necessarily well steeped in, you know, you with your computer science background, etc. that can sometimes help, sometimes hurt. Um, tell us more about your thoughts and background and, and passion on the topic. Well, the term visual communications has much more meaning for me, me for anybody else here. The reason is that I'm one of the, I was one of the co-founders of a company called Visual Communications Network. And um, while I've spent most of my uh, career at MIT, I've also been involved in startups. And this is a company that my professor at that time, he was the lead and I was a co-founder of it. I was the founding uh, chief scientist of it. And the idea there was that we all think about things uh, in textual form. We think about things in sometimes in numerical form, but we don't think enough about things which are a combination of numerical form, visual forms, uh, all those things going together. So we proposed the idea that we should be able to do this, what we do in presentations, we should be able to do it using computers. And the general impression was, well, this is a waste of time. This is nothing to do with management. Why are we trying to do that? 
So we started this new company on the side. And uh, again, the feeling was when we developed it, people said it's just for teenagers to waste time. Why are you doing it? And that actually led to the presentation graphics area. That actually company is the one who invented the first presentation graphics package, which we take for granted today. And we were also the first ones to come up with the notion of these desktop videos, which we now again take for granted. So um, I can relate to a lot of things, but again, as I said, when it started off, everybody was very pessimistic that it's just for wasting time. And today we just take it for granted. And the same thing is happening here that in the medical communications area, some of the technologies we are talking about seem to be somewhat away from the traditional medical field, but uh, over time, I expect them to be totally blended. And I see that process taking place every day. Thank you. And Paul, you know, I, I know you've uh, written a lot of articles uh, that have a lot of data in them. Uh, how much do you love putting data graphics? Do you do it yourself? What's been some of your, your favorite ways to demonstrate something, explain something? Would love to hear your thoughts on this topic. Thanks, Lyle. Um, I love this topic. Uh, as an ongoing editor of journals for the last 20 years, I'm struck by the fact that we publish lots of words, but we have an incredible implementation gap between the words and actions. And what's becoming more and more clear is that in order to effectively have patients and the community participate in decision-making about their care, they need to understand the risks and benefits of different medical treatments. They don't understand numerically and they don't understand narratively. And so the power of graphics, which I love, and I try to push in all my papers and actively push as much as possible because I believe it helps to improve the credibility of the message. It helps to improve the impact of the message on audiences. And I believe that while a paper article might be three or 4,000 words, people will remember one visual and they'll forget or overlook the 3,000 caveat words. And so getting that visual accurately is important. The challenge sometimes is finding good graphic artists that are so passionate equally about the importance of the essence of the message, not just taking the words to a graphic, but what are the key messages that the recipient who might be risk illiterate or might be medical language illiterate in order for them to understand the importance of the message, how do we make sure that graphic is uh, is so crisp that it lasts much, much beyond the original article or scientific discovery? A lot of folks have access to you know particular agencies and vendors that can help to put these types of things together if you know if there is a, a fair amount of resources that can be used towards that. But the truth is today, you know, there's so many different uh, websites and programs that people can pull down where they're much more user-friendly than ever before. So uh, you can do something as simple as in a PowerPoint or using applications uh, that are available uh, online that you can pull down and put your ideas into, into uh, a visual. The one thing I'll say, and I think it's something that, uh, you know, Paul started to touch on before, is if you don't have the capability, though, then don't go forward in, in doing it. Because the last thing we want to do is have a misrepresentation of the data or have, a, let's say, an infographic or, or some type of other graphical representation of important and critical medical data that's not accurate. People are making decisions on the basis of what they're looking at. Um, and if it's not able to represent it appropriately, um, then you definitely want to look to finding some other resources to get the job done. Well, I think it varies. Um, there are a number of disciplines and things tend to be a little more discipline oriented. Uh, in some disciplines, there's much more tools available because there's more standardization, which is there. In the medical field, I find there's less standardization and uh, different standards are in progress, and that makes it a little more difficult to do it. 
<coughs> the other issue which comes up is, especially in uh, medical field as well as in others, we have so much information which is available now on computers. So we have almost gone into an information glut problem. And from the information glut, which part do you really want to represent in a figure, for example, that's not easy to judge for the computer to do. And that actually is one of the current areas that we are looking at that how do we get huge amount of information, reduce the information overload on people and trying to find them the real facts which are there. And those are the things that they should bring out in their articles and publish them. So that's another area of research that is currently very active. And uh, especially with COVID-19, when people stopped going to banks and people stopped going to places, every organization is receiving much more information in paper form. And we have to collate from that paper form how to do it. And even uh, they're getting paper form, they're getting faxes, they're getting a lot of information on computers. So that's become an active area of research at this point, how to go about minimize, to minimize the human effort which is involved. And Paul, um, yeah, as you've been doing this and, and passionate about it, what, what are the best practices if you've got a young author who is um, you know, trying to display their information visually? Uh, any hints you give them from either strategy or um, programs to work with or um, ways to improve on what they're doing? And it, you may speak to the difference between displaying data versus a, a thought process, et cetera, but, but go for it. Let's hear from you. Yeah, well, I think, again, I want to go back to my earlier thoughts. The goal of writing is not just to convey words. It's to convey complex concepts. Risk management is probably the single most difficult space to comprehend. Understanding trade-offs. Um, being able to do so in words and numbers is very hard, particularly when most people are rather number illiterate. They can't, they don't really understand medical ease or scientific ease, if you will. And so the ability to use graphics, I want to be very specific here. So it might be icon arrays or bar charts, bar charts or visual grids. All these tools are meant to simplify very complex ideas. Um, these things must stand alone, number one. So they can't just be a continuation of the narrative. They need to stand by themselves, number one. Number two, they have to be able to speak towards action. So what I usually recommend to people is, is they first do a mock-up on a whiteboard or something like that, then show it to their friends and spouses who are not in their domain and say, do you understand this? Unless it's obvious to your grandmother equivalent, then you clearly haven't done enough work to actually extract the essence of what you're trying to convey. And that's very hard for scientists and deep data analysts who are so immersed in their expertise that they can't imagine how other people will struggle to understand simple concepts of risk or timing or action information or, or attributing one thing to a bar graphic or not. There's also fundamental rules. I hate bar diagrams, for example, because they're not particularly accurate, nor do they convey complex information well. And so part of this is, do you really understand what you're conveying? Um, that is to say, is it clear to a person who sees it, what are the imputations for action? It could be prevention, it could be taking medication, it could be avoiding risk. As we've seen during COVID, most people misunderstand what was told to them about risk, but equally, most of the communication around risk management was terrible. It was overwhelming, and like Amar said, there's so much now being conveyed digitally, and that has given people excuses to convey information badly. 
So if before there was bad enough information, now there's a hundredfold more bad information being conveyed. So of course, people are confused. Can I fly? Can I not fly? Should I go out with a mask? When to do it? How to do it? There's so much information out there that we in the publishing industry, I think, have failed our audiences by not being better in conveying clear and concise messaging in a way that's replicatable and in, and in a way that we can actually say this information has led to change. So does this risk graphic information that we're talking about, again, if it's a pictogram or a line plot or an icon array or a pie chart, whatever it might be, does it lead to better action as it relates to health and wellness? So couple of important concepts there. One is, of course, the varying ways that you can visualize your medical data, communication, et cetera. Uh, and the second is this idea of just because you have data doesn't mean you have to simply visualize it. You want to think about what problem am I solving by doing this? So, Absolutely. so Rob, how, you know, let's talk a little about the different types of visual communications, right? There's infographics, you know, there's abstracts, there's uh, data display. Um, pick up on this, uh, tell us about that, about if and how authors should be using data repositories, what that means. Um, what are some of the, going from sort of strategy to tactics, what are the different types of visualizations? Is there a way that you categorize them that you found helpful and useful? Um, and uh, where can people learn more about that? Yeah, so I think um, I'll pick up on these ideas that we've been discussing, which is, you know, start with the end in mind a bit. You know, so. Um, the goal of, uh, of any medical research or communication is, is not really just to get the publication or get the visual done. It's to create some level of, 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 an, of an output or behavioral change, if you will. So whether it's prevention or whether it's a, a certain treatment choice, um, if we start there and then work backwards from, uh, from that point to, okay, well, what is it that we have? Like, what do, we, what do you have in terms of the research that's available? And then what are the different channels? You can start to piece together an overall strategy for what you're trying to accomplish. So that's a very... Uh, general and abstract way of saying that it's important that you consider the audience that you have in mind and then those particular channels. So getting back to some of the specifics, if you're looking at the opportunity to use an infographic uh, versus uh, something you might put into a, a, you know, a PowerPoint or another graphical representation, a lot of it is based on what type of publication you might have. So from my perspective, working with journals or with medical publication professionals, um, we often are trying to make a decision. Is this something that should go into an abstract that would go into a poster hall? Um, that's one, one way that it can be displayed, uh, which is important. Um, in the traditional days, that meant a lot of engagement among um, healthcare uh, practitioners, right? Because they were in poster halls and having discussions around the visuals and the poster. Or is the best bet, um, although it takes a little longer, is the best bet to put together a manuscript or publish a publication that will go into a scientific journal? Um, that gives you an opportunity to be a little more comprehensive and have a broader reach, uh, but that's a consideration too. So you can see as I put those examples together that a lot of it comes down to, well, what do you want to have happen? You know, do you want to um, have some engagement where people are talking about the data in a live setting? Um, do you want to be able to have it endure in a journal and go out to a broader um, audience? And, and certainly there's, we could go through countless examples of different ways that, um, that the message can get out. Uh, you'd ask the question, where can people learn more? A lot of it is exploration and, and looking at the different medical congresses that are available, looking at different ways to display your data there. Um, certainly the ISMAP uh, website offers resources uh, to help with that, and that's www.ismpp.org. Um, and that's uh, basically the representation of our not-for-profit that provides information on different ways that you can display information as well as, as publish it in different venues. 
Great, fantastic. I, I'm gonna follow up on one question there is um, you talked about sort of early on when you're making the decision where to display my research data, et cetera. Is that, how early on is that? And is that, um, is that primarily at a um, sort of an academic setting? And uh, because you can imagine the visualization needs for a poster are, are even greater than uh, for a research article. I wonder if you'd talk a little more about that decision. Yeah, so as early as possible is, is the best approach, and uh, although that may not always be practical, uh, but the sooner you know what you're going to be doing with the data and, and how you're going to represent it, the better. Uh, and the reason I say that is because, you know, we're, we're talking about it right now as kind of a one and done type of scenario, but oftentimes there's a, a overall plan for how you want to communicate the data, and it involves many. So you might start with an abstract and a poster uh, that goes to a medical congress, but then also have aspirations of a journal article uh, that goes out and then maybe additional extensions beyond that. Because it's important to, to keep in mind, the days of everything that we're producing going strictly out to a medical professional are gone. You know, a lot of times now our audiences uh, to the points being made before are, are patients themselves and they're active participants in their own healthcare. So, you know, simply thinking about a one and done strategy of a poster hall or, um, and or, you know, just a, a publication is very short-sighted to what's actually happening out there where people are being active participants in their own healthcare. Okay, so Amar, um, taking it from being inside the research institution, um, using lots of programs, how, when you describe to perhaps others who are trying to write things, how you describe the different types of visual um, opportunities they have, as we said, infographics, abstracts, um, data display, et cetera. Um, yeah, I'm curious if you in your mind have a way that you describe and explain uh, to a new author how to think about um, the different categories they might use in visualizing uh, the data and information they want to um, provide to their audience. Well, I've spent most of my time uh, career in academia. So in academic world, especially at places like MIT and others, the focus is very much on research and where you publish in the top journals that is very important. So I tell authors that you should really start with the end target first, what is a highly ranked journal, which is a high journal impact factor. And then what backwards from there that in order to have a paper there, what should you do? Should you first go to a conference? Should you publish it in the lower tier journal? Should you go from there? Uh, many times I tell them they can skip some of the steps with experience. And I myself have skipped in many cases, just going directly to the end journal as the starting point without going through any intermediate conference or anything. But that's really hard to do unless you have a lot of experience. On the other hand, when I see my students starting companies, uh, several of them have been very successful in doing it. There, the message has to be taken to a different kind of audience, the people who are going to fund that thing. So again, I say that if you can talk in language, which is easy to understand for them, that's very important. Don't just say that because it's medical language, we know what it is. That's not the way to explain it. You need to think of the other part and put as many graphs as you can, put as many slides as you can. That is very, very important to do, which is there. Uh, I should also tell that there is some degree of arrogance in the, in the system. I remember when I published something in Wall Street Journal, I get uh, comments from my people. Why did you have to publish there? That's not for where people in academia publish. Uh, it's a waste of time. So I actually am somewhat uh, torn between the area that you, do you want to do it because of your own career or because you want to do it because you want to spread the good word around. And I think the two really should go together. You should really think of your end customer or being the world or as many people as you can reach. 
So the distribution of it, how many people read it, and if you want it to be distributed widely, then you should think of writing it at a level where people can read it at different levels, people who can relate to the data in the pictures that you provide, people who can relate to some of the text which you have written and provide references to it. So again, depending on what audience you're trying to reach, uh, I would say that you should use more uh, visualization if you're trying to reach audiences in other fields, for example, you can probably get by with more text if you're going for your own thing, that might be one way to differentiate between the different markets. Great, thank Paul. Um, some similar, but building on, you know, how when you talk to a new writer, you you, know, you sort of describe, and we talked a little about that last time, but the different types of um, ways that you can communicate uh, visually. Curious if you have a um, uh, any formal way of describing that or mnemonic or something that helps people think about and understand when and how to use certain visualization. In the statistical world, you know, we have, hey, you can only do this type of statistical test for this type of analysis, et cetera. In the visual world, um, is there something similar? Um, and or how, how do you like to describe the difference between infographic abstracts, um, you know, data display, bar charts, all that stuff that you were talking about? What's what's your best way to describe that? You know, I'm a, a huge fan of the great uh, Marshall McLuhan, um, who spoke about you know the medium and the message. So, at the end of the day, this, I ask the same questions: Why now? Who cares? Will this visual make any difference? And why you, the perpetrator of this graphic, are greatly positioned to create this perfect graphic? Um, and so, if we think about the medium as the message. Again, we go back to this fundamental question. How do you make sure that this graphic conveys your passion and ideas in a crisp way? And I think the key message there is that, first of all, it takes a lot of iterations to get this right. Um, I once worked with the editor of New England Journal of Medicine who told me a great paper requires 38 versions. And I think that's about right. It, you know, When you think it's right, it's probably not right yet, especially if you're trying to convey a complex message to a lay audience. So I think that's the second message. The third message is that get a lot of input from from senior experts in visual graphic uh, data representation because I think it takes a lot of work to really understand how to get to your audiences. You know, Amar alluded to the Wall Street Journal. You know, you know when I've published in in main uh, non medical platforms, on the one hand. Um, it gets to a broader audience, but usually the message they capture is overly simplified in my mind, um, which leads to a nice pop, but almost no lasting impact. So I'm very frustrated by that. So it does get out. So what's interesting is that it gets out to the main message and then they come back to you for the deeper message. So maybe that's another point, which is sometimes you have to sacrifice the complexity of your message to get out to the audience so that your follow through can give them the rest of your message. So you don't have to have all delivering one graphic or one message, but be prepared to deliver over multiple quanta. And by doing so, you'll still get your message out, but it might take several bites at the apple. And that means reducing your expectations of the impact of that graphic in order to get the message through to the main media outlet. And then you'll have more chances to follow through with the rest of your message. So in the, in the big health system world, we sometimes look at primary care as the loss leader that you know, gets people in the door. So maybe just an interesting graphic that gets people intrigued enough to to, to come in all the way. Come back again. Absolutely. 
Okay, we're now going to go to a bit of a speed round and I'm going to let you guys start thinking about this and it will be whoever sort of raises their hand first because um, you may need to think about this. Um, and that is when I ask you about sort of the best graphic visual, you know, medical visualization you've seen. Um, and, uh, you know, we can, we can start with maybe posters uh, and say, if there's something that stands out, you go, in my life, I remember seeing this one poster. Because if you can remember, yeah, uh, under the pressure of, of, of this type of format, it must have been pretty special. So I want to see if any of you want to volunteer to say, I remember either you did it yourself um, or you saw it somewhere else, uh, something in a poster format that just stood out and wowed you and and either made you want to learn more or stuck with you to this day what that what that piece of content was. Well, um, Paul, you have your hand up. Yep. Um, so I, I am taken by Ed Tufte's wonderful graphic representation of Napoleon's march. Um, you know, this idea of conveying this rich, multi-layered piece of information on one a four sheet of paper just blows my mind how you can do that so well and and i think if if any i think tufty's work and his examples show us how hard it is to convey complex information simply if you will and layering it in multiple ways to allow the audience so tufty yeah so so not exactly a medical visualization but certainly something yeah. that is uh, well known in, amongst those you know, who love visualizations. And uh, just to be fair, I'm going to um, bring it up really quickly. If you can see it, right? The as we know, this is actually in France. What the French it looks like, but the idea is that that uh, if Tufti started, uh, yeah, started this out by showing the the number right of soldiers that marched into Russia, and essentially that graphic just got smaller and smaller as it went in, uh, and then. Coming back out, you know, the went from light to dark and got smaller and smaller. Didn't have a great outcome uh, as they came back, uh, but it is uh, by many is the you know, a wonderful example of how you can look at this and instead of just having a bunch of numbers, you sort of see what happened. Um, a lot of soldiers went in, not that many came out. Um, uh, anyone else? And we can we don't have to limit it to uh, posters because I, uh, um, uh, but any other. Thoughts and, and if a medical one doesn't come to mind, a non-medical one, but anything that um, helps people understand a little better, um, what a great uh, visualization can be, especially if it is medical. I don't know if um, I can remember a specific, um, uh, it's, I can remember a specific instance, but not so with the authors of it, but I remember uh, being kind of taken back. I was walking uh, the, uh, the poster hall, the uh, large medical Congress and uh, it was one of the first times where I'd actually seen a poster format where there was a departure from the traditional, you know, all words uh, type of thing. And it, it was eye catching for a couple of reasons. One, it was a health economics poster. I can recall that uh, it had to do with um, uh, cancer medication at the time. And uh, what was neat about it, though, is that it basically took away all that usual uh, approach of, of putting all the text on there and had one, one graphic that sat in the middle and it represented um, you know, lives and how they were being saved and so on from a health economic point of view. But what, what struck me wasn't so much the graphic, it was how the graphic was used in a particular uh, publication uh, deliverable itself. Uh, it was a departure and it was something where in the sea of all these other uh, different messages coming through and all this other data, um, all eyes went to that. And, you know, I don't, I see thousands of posters, but I remember that one. So it was a good question to ask. Yeah. 
And, and what and what exactly do you think really stood out? That I mean, the fact that it was what was different about it? Well, number one, it was it was different because it was different, you know. So quite attention, uh, and it's still the case. We don't see wide usage of, of that type of format. Uh, but the other thing is, it was simple. It was it was uh, not necessarily you know, thousands of colors, but it was just a basic design. Uh, and instead of representing numbers, it represented uh, you know basic icons that were trying to show uh, some health economic data that was quite complex in nature. But it made it so that you wanted to look at it. If you looked at it for just a, a glance, you could get kind of a sense as to what the key message was going to be uh, around this particular data set, um, and one that drew quite a bit of attention. But also, it, it didn't take a lot of time. You know, so if I wanted to get more information, I could certainly go into the deep dive as to the text that was available. In this particular case, I had a QR code to go further into it, um, which was great. But the uh, the key message, which is what you want people to get, was right there for me, and I, I didn't have to try to work for it or digest it. Yeah, I think we've all walked into a room full of posters, and it is really nice to sort of see something uh, that might stand out. It is going to draw attention, and uh, hopefully we'll see more of it. Uh, Amar, any any thoughts from you on some great visualizations, data displays that maybe your students or others you've worked with have done? And you're on mute right now, so I want to make sure you get off mute. Taking the medical field, the ones which I have found to be most impressive is some of the post, some of the visualizations which are coming up in, in the doctoral seminars, with, uh, people presenting their doctoral work. And one of them I remember very distinctly that the person had it in both a static form as well as in a, uh, is in a running motion form, in a video form. And today the good news is that number of journals allow you to link your paper and cite other places where information is available. So again, for people who are authoring papers, this might be a good way to think that Yes, you can convey it through it, but also through references and also through the mechanism. Try to use these facilities as well to get readers to be interested in your paper, not only what you present there, but what the access you provide to other data, other information which is there, which I think also tends to increase the credibility of the article because you're being very open about it, that here is my data, here is what we have done. That I think is becoming increasingly important because when I receive some things, I'm really confused at times because it seems too good to be true or I don't see the basic data. And I really start wondering uh, how much do I really take it on its value, which has been presented there. And so you brought up the idea of video, uh, yeah. which is something that we we haven't even really talked about, but the idea that um, uh, that another way to present medical data and, and, and thoughts is by video and yet, that's not something that you can just have an article, et cetera. Rob, you brought up QR codes. Um, uh, I have seen QR codes on posters. I think it's a great idea to immediately get maybe a video that can come up or more information. How great, as you said, Amar, to have a visual, you know, a, a additional visualization, videos, et cetera, attached to an article. Uh, what, are, Rob, you might uh, be the most knowledgeable on what's going on. Yeah, it's um, so it's not even so much the QR code. It's just the fact that there's going to be an additional repository behind a publication where people can get more information. So, and that has a lot of positives because, quite frankly, when you take a traditional journal article, um, very often there's just not the the space. You know, in the old days, it was simply just the page space uh, for the for the information. Uh, now, in an electronic age, it's there's certainly still limitations. But uh, being able to link out and go somewhere else, whether it's via QR code or some other mechanism, is really important. So a lot of times behind those QR codes or links are, yes, there's data visualizations, but there's also sometimes an opportunity to just see more data, more specific data to deeper dive. Um, I think that's, that's certainly, it's here now and it's gonna be the future 
The challenges you brought up though, is that it's not so clear cut in terms of how you manage the stability of, of those pieces. Um, so certainly if it's a journal monitored piece, uh, that probably has some stability, but if it's a link out to somebody else's microsite, that's often a little bit more of a challenge because I can change that on, on a whim. Um, and that's not usually something that the journals like to, uh, to see. So make so it makes sense. So you might be a go-to journal say, hey, we'll upload to your site and then it will be stable and secure. Um, and is that something that most or all journals are uh, open to these days? They're cer certainly coming around to it. That's for sure. It, it's, uh, it's, I want to keep saying it's the future, but it's, it's kind of the now, you know, because in this uh, digital era and with people just kind of whipping information around everywhere as, as they go, um, there has to be mechanisms to put much more information on there. And there's certainly an appetite. You know, another good, I think, example of that is, you know, we haven't really talked much about it, but plain language summaries and other things that are coming out where people can further digest data. Uh, yes, they can have visualizations as well, but now you have target audiences, target audiences often being patients um, and other way, other way people who don't have medical expertise, but want to be able to click beyond the article and get kind of that summary so they can be a participant in their healthcare. Yeah, no, a fascinating, right? Really taking it to the next step of multimedia, being able to say this article is interesting. I'd love to see the author of this article explain it to me and like why he did this and, and what, yeah, you know, how he believes the conclusion is. And uh, can we, yeah, you know, can that become really the, the future of publication? Paul, you, you, I have a thought on this. I do have a thought. I'm reminiscing on Mark Twain, his famous line I didn't have time to write a short letter or a short abstract. So I decided to give you a QR code. So as an editor, I'm highly worrisome that by opening up these channels, people are going to give you a lot of garbage because they haven't really thought it through. So I think we just need to remember that just because you have a long form online doesn't mean it doesn't require scrutiny, editing, careful uh, thinking about the data. So I want more background information, but I also wanna make sure that we don't lose our editing standards. Because uh, I think it's a big danger um, when you put online and then it's it's not searchable very well and it's not particularly accessible. So nobody really looks at it. They go, oh, it's online. So mm -hmm. I, I want to make sure that we think uh, more carefully about that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it's for people to understand, right, as an editor, I mean, you know, we have to read through you know, these papers um, and feel good about them. We're not about to listen to an hour talk on it. And so that is uh, in, uh, a good point to make. And um, uh, it'll be interesting to see again if publications sort of come up with some limits. You can put on so much data, you can do a two-minute video, etc. Um, and people can always, of course, create their own videos and put them on YouTube, but uh, to link into an editorial uh, in a journal um, will require a little higher order. Yeah, and um, also, how do you how do you cite it? I mean, there, it's a how do you cite a video on a website? It's it's tricky. We don't really have easy um, language to find other modalities and. Uh, you know, it's hard enough to cite a graphic inside a paper. What happens now if you citing a sentence inside a video? Do you quote it verbatim? Do you just say the video? What's the correct standards? There's a little bit of uh, confusion, ambiguity there. So let's uh, wrap up with our final round. Um, you know, saying, you know, what do you want to say, you know, to a young author who is trying to write a nice paper, create a good poster, explain their information in any format who wants to use uh, medical uh, visual communications. Um, Rob, what's your, uh, what, what are your top few pieces of advice for this, uh, this young author? So I'll reiterate um, part of what I said before, because I think it's really important. This starting with the end in mind is, is so important. And, you know, very often, you know, we think of medical writing in a, in a very particular way, and it has 
obviously a scientific rigor that's, that's involved. But at the same time, good uh, scientific writers and those who are publishing, they're storytellers. So they're thinking about what the story endpoint needs to be. They're thinking about the needs of the reader. Um, they're putting all the different elements together so they can consider um, what aspects of the data need to uh, to come out and come to life for people. And that's, that's a very different element than just taking uh, written word, putting it on paper, um, and hoping that it's translated into some kind of behavioral outcome. It's really putting yourself in a different level of responsibility as you're producing that piece to say, if I want to have this action happen, what do I need to, uh, what do, I need to do to get there? And sometimes it's not going to be a visual communication, right? Sometimes it's just not the way to go. But other times it may be, and if so, um, don't take it at face value that you can just use any type of communication tool. It needs to, do, to be the correct tool for that particular audience. Great. Thanks. And, and Amar, what are your final words for our um, writers out there who are trying to um, take advantage of the visual communication uh, media to, to explain their data, their, um, their findings, et cetera? Right. Um, my feeling is that one needs to think very carefully about what audience do you want to reach and what is the journal's um, orientation and focus. These two things are very important because depending on which audience you're trying to reach, the mechanisms that you have to reach uh, use are also different. In some cases, you need to focus very much on a graph, which immediately uh, attracts attention. Uh, people want to look at it, want to find out. Like one of our recent pieces of work is um, that in the case of prescriptions for opioid also, there is inequity among populations. So the first question I'm asked always is social graph, how much inequity is there? So it's very obvious what you need to present in order to grasp the audience uh, attention for it. So try to see what is really important about it, which will get people's attention and then go from there and put it in a form which is easy to first digest in pictorial form. And then through the text, go ahead and add all the information you want to add. Uh, I also find the other extreme that people just think that because they've made many graphs or because they've got number of pages from the computer printer, uh, uh, photo shots, for example, that itself is good enough. And I don't find the meat for it in the, in the article. So that's the other extreme, which I see is increasingly happening, especially with computer generated outputs. Mm -hmm. So those would be my suggestions for new authors to consider. Okay. And Paul, you get to wrap up. Uh, what is your, you know, we've heard yeah, um, a lot about making sure you know what you're doing, um, uh, making sure um, that it is appealing. What are, you know, what, uh, what would you say are the, the most important things and the wisdom you want to uh, impart? I think the most important thing is to remember that we write because we want to inform. And we, if we're going to inform, that means we have to understand what is the literacy and risk literacy of our readers so encouraging great graphics means encouraging patients risk literacy and understanding and trust in their physicians, particularly for audiences of disparate backgrounds of color, etc. And the willingness for them to own have more agency and participate in their decision making. So that means that good graphics can contribute to better population health. So people make better decisions, they better interpret the information, and they have a better understanding about basic information about what their life choices are and how they can uh, live their life more fully. And so in this case, great graphics means achieving, you know, wonderful impact on population health and public health. Great. So I, I think it's clear everyone here is passionate and, um, and yeah, I've learned a lot. And as someone who's written, yeah. Some articles I yeah 
have, am really going to think be even more thoughtful about visualization for everything from explaining a complex topic to getting people's attention. Um, it makes a lot of sense to be able to do all these things. So appreciate everyone's time here. Um, we're looking forward to, um, as we said, a series um, on these new author writing boot camps. Uh, the next one being more about open access uh, and what that means as, as you're thinking. And uh, we hope you uh, appreciated, learned, and look forward to uh, better visualizations from everybody. Thanks again. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. We appreciate your tuning in to the Partners in Digital Health Institute Startup and Early Career Incubator Writing Bootcamp. Thanks for listening in today. To keep up with webinars, podcasts, and other tools for your career and business, join the Partners in Digital Health Institute at pdhinstitute.com and click join. To learn more about ISMPP, please visit ismpp.org, join and engage with programs available. Stay tuned for our next session coming soon.